All right. Good morning. Good morning. All right. You're going to chill with me? We're good. All right. We need some evangelism for this section here. There's too many empty chairs. What's going on? What, what, what are you guys doing? Let's pray. Father, we, just, we, we submit to you this, this morning, Lord God, and we just thank you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Father, we just ask right now that you would uh, remove me, that you would just speak to our hearts, Lord God that you would be glorified, that your word would be planted deep, that it would grow and bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. The other day, uh, I believe it was Dave in the back there, he asked me, is the, is the sound booth the official lost and found, or is there another place? Because everything always ends up back here. And it's true, you could go by the sound booth at any given week and you can find a comb, three earrings, two umbrellas, a hoodie, a ring, a pair of pants, a can of beans, hair gel, a kid. I've seen all these things back there. Kids' toys. And we've tried to create a space for a lost and found before, but, you know, we've moved it so many times. Every time the walls come down, we move. We used to have it in the, in the, in the, uh, the counter that we had in the little foyer there, but we tore that down, so that left. And so it seems like, you know, some, some, something uh, always, people always just, you know, throw it to the office, throw it to the sound booth, or, or find a place for it. And so whenever, whenever anybody asks, have you seen a blue shoe or a red earring or a... Nobody knows where to look anymore. So something could be here, but still be lost. (laughs) It could be in church, but still be lost. It, It could have been in church for weeks, months, years, and still remain lost. Google defines lost as unable to find one's way, misplaced. This week I was asking God, what, where, where do we, you know, after the, the as, as, a, as a ministry team, Easter is like the scariest time of the year. And then once you get past Easter, it's like, you know, it's the new year starts again for us. And it's, it's kind of like, okay, you know. And so just, just reflecting and asking God, where do, we, where do we go now? Where are we? Where do we need to focus on? What's important? See, I've been at this church for this July for almost 13 years. Amen? We've preached, I've preached personally close to 400 sermons here. Say, so you talk a lot, right? I've preached through entire books of the Bible. We did the whole book of Acts one year. We, we preached through the entire book of Genesis at one point. I think that took like a year and a half. 
I think we, 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 um, we preach through most of the Gospels. We preach through the book of Romans. We've even followed the entire life of Paul through one series. And then we preach topically about fear and about courage and about love and about unity and about faithfulness. Amen? Some years back, I, I remember I did a series exposing major world religions. If you missed that one, that was called To Catch a Thief. And I recommend you to go visit that one online because Scripture tells us the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And I've seen how even today religion is one of his major tools. Does that sound crazy? Like the enemy has found a way to make religion one of his greatest tools. And so I exposed every major world religion in that series, their beliefs, their distortions, And that was a tough one. I felt hell break out against me during that one, but it was worth it. And I'd do it again. Because the enemy uses religion as a weapon of deception. See, if he can get people to think that they're religious and and be a part of something godly, then he can move on to the next one because they'll never be free. Wow, we're in church talking about religion will never set you free. And they'll never change because they think they're already walking with God. Which kind of brings me to what I want to talk today about the lost and the found. Not because I want you to know where to go if you lose something here. Not because I want you to know who to talk to. And, but because I don't want anyone in the church to remain lost among the found. Say amen. Say that's too heavy. See, you've heard this before, but the truth is, you can go to Burger King every Sunday and never be a burger. I mean, you could go there faithfully, religiously, every single Sunday, and you'll never be a burger. In the same fashion, you can come to church every Sunday. You can hang around the church. You can become accustomed to the church. You can learn to tolerate the church. Say amen. You can even learn after a little while to actually like the church. That still does not make you the church. Or a Christian or a Christ follower. Yes, what that heavy. Don't misunderstand me, family. In one sense, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you've gone beyond what others do. Husbands, if you're sitting here with your wives, that's a good thing. No, that wasn't a loud enough amen. Husbands, if you're sitting here with your wives, that's a good thing. I celebrate you. But I also want to challenge you today to go even further. If your wife is the spiritual one, it's time to turn that around. I, I, I don't want to hear any more from men. Well, that's not my thing. That's her thing. Make it your thing. You were created for that thing. Amen. It's time that we started. Fi- I know it's not Father's Day, but, but let's go in. It's time that men started fighting battles that we were built for. Don't get offended, get aggressive. Young people, your turn. 
smack a young kid in the head, tell him, listen to this one thing. Take one headphone out, just listen to this one thing. Wake him up, shake him. Levántate. Teenagers, please, listen, listen, listen. You can tune right out after this, I promise. Let me take your blankie away this morning. Young people, this is a statistic, young people born into a family that's in Christ tend to assume that they're right with God regardless of whether they personally turn from their sin or trust in Jesus. The end result of borrowed faith is too often a lost faith. It's time to stop resting or hiding behind your parents' faith, and it's time to make some decisions on your own. I say that in love. I was a youth pastor for 11 years. I'm tired. You matter to me is what I'm trying to tell you. I'm tired of seeing young people get snatched out of the sanctuary and thrown into the fire. If you don't make this faith your own, the first professor that comes along that doesn't believe in God because God didn't answer all his prayers as a baby will talk you out of any hope that you can stand on on your own and will strip you of your mommy's faith. Amen. If you would take a stand and try God for yourself, develop your own faith. And then when the atheist professor comes and tries to question you, you can tell Mr. Scientist that you were fearfully and wonderfully created and that you were not a cosmic accident, but a creation that demands a creator. Amen? And when they try to hit you with the science, tell them, well, you know what? You know that DNA thing that you guys discovered? That DNA uh, strand that, that has every single code, while, even while I'm in my mother's belly, it has my entire code of how tall I'll be, who I'll be, what I'll look like. That whole code, to, that, tell, them, tell them you know who wrote it. Parents, the word says, train up a child in the way they should go. But after a certain age, those kids are, 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 in, this, are in the children's church already. After a certain age, they can't get any further on your faith. I know teens are mad at me right now. There comes a time when the faith has to be your own. The only thing that you can do to help with their walk is to be faithful with yours. If you're one way here, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Then at home, you're cursing them out, smacking them up, and, and living a whole different lying to bill collectors, lying to everybody, cursing, screaming, cursing, whatever. It, that's, that's not going to cut it. Amen? You're sending mixed messages. Can, come on. Can we, can we be straight today? Fathers, listen to me. Men, if your kids see that you leave all the spirituality to their mom, your sons will think this battle is for women. And they'll never be the men they were called to be. And your daughters, your daughters will have to separate their spirituality from their physicality. And then they'll, they'll be fine getting with a knucklehead like you. And because they figure they'll have to hold it down like their mom holds it down in the spiritual area. 
What I'm trying to say is I don't want to give any excuses here for there to be any lost among the found. Amen? And so I'm not going to give you a break because I'm only 14. I'm only 16. I'm only, it's time. It's time. Amen? You make some crazy decisions on your own that are outside of here. So it's time you make some decisions in here. Amen? <clears throat> All right, so let's go to the word. Enough pop out. Luke 15. Luke 15 gives us such a powerful picture of our God. In Luke 15, there are three parables. And depending on what version you have in your, in your, in your thing there, it, they might be labeled differently, but the wording basically is this. It's the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the prodigal son. I'll call it the parable of the lost sons. A parable is a fictional story that, that he, that's made up, that has a point and a message. And the actual people in the story are not real, but they usually represent real people, a real people group or a mindset. So Jesus spoke in parables, he says, to hide truths from some and to make them evident to others. Luke 15 starts... With the setting, it's important to know, whenever you read your word, it's important to know who he's talking to and why. Right? It's important. That's context. It's important to know that. Otherwise, you just open your Bible and, and you pull, pull, pull something out and you say, oh, this is for me. God said that I could. No, God didn't say that you could. God was talking about these people and he was talking about these people and this. We have to get culture. Amen? So just, just real quick. So 15, so 15 verse 1. It says, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So we see right in the beginning, he was talking to tax collectors and sinners, thus, in the presence of Pharisees and scribes. The religious, the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious Jews, they were complaining that he spends times with sinners and eats with them, which is a very intimate thing. It is still intimate for us today. We don't just invite anybody to the house to eat, right? We don't just have fellowship like that with anybody. I mean, some of you might, but, you know. It's, a, it's an intimate thing when you bring someone into your home and share a meal. And so it, and, and the religious people were bothered because Jesus did that with sinners. Jesus did that with people that didn't... Didn't have the religious clothes on. That didn't come from the religious background. And so he would sit and eat with them. And that's why they would, they would label him a, a wine bibber. And they would, they would label him, you know, that all kinds of things. And say, he can't be God because God wouldn't do that in their eyes. So because of the grumbling, Jesus starts telling stories. Whenever you see Jesus telling stories in the word, it's probably because somebody was grumbling. And he wants to talk about them without them knowing. Come on, this is good. Verse 4. Tell him you're busy. Verse 4. Tell him I'm talking. What's going on? Who's calling? Anyway, verse 4. Sorry for embarrassing you. Verse 4. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one. So you found out one was missing. Wouldn't you leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the lost one until you found it? When found, you can be sure that you would put it across your shoulders, rejoicing. And when you got home, you'd call your friends and your neighbors saying, celebrate with me. I found my lost sheep. Count on it, Jesus says. There's more joy in heaven over one sinner 
rescued life than over 99 good people in no need of rescue. Jesus' point was this, that what the Pharisees would do for lost things, God does for lost people. God doesn't want any of his sheep to wander from the shepherd. He was telling them what matters to God, he he wanted them to understand the heart of God. God rejoices when one of his lost sheep is found. Jesus revealed that even though sinners coming to Jesus made the Pharisees grumble, it made God's heart glad. The parable showed how out of touch they were with God. These are the religious people of the time. These are the people that dressed the part. These are the people that that prayed. These are the people that read the scriptures. These are the people that walked around holy, holy looking on the outside. These are the people that called themselves God's people. How out of touch they were. The, the, The center of their faith was right in front of them and they remained lost. So it's no wonder that we can be, yeah. It's no wonder that we can be in church. We can be right in the middle of worship. We can be right in the middle uh, and not hear the word. Jesus says in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And so the beautiful picture in the story is that the scenario, the, the sheep gets lost because they're foolish. The sheep get lost because they get distracted. They get led astray. Are there any sheep in the building today? Why, why do you think the word calls us? This? We get led astray. We get distracted. Sometimes we like the way things look somewhere else. And so we go there and we get lost because we, we miss where, where we're supposed to be. Come on. So the parable shows how God is the pursuer. This is the beautiful picture of the word. Jesus made up this story so that we can see that God is the one that chases the sheep. No, nobody's excited about that. You, y'all must never have been lost. The parable shows how God is the pursuer. He takes the initiative in seeking the lost sheep. The 99 found sheep were also a picture of the Pharisees that were listening there who thought they were righteous and didn't need finding. God says, I leave the 99 to find the one. And then he tells another story. He says, verse 8. <laughs> he says, or imagine a woman who has ten coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and scour the house, looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, can you, can you be sure that she'll call her friends and neighbors and say, celebrate with me, I found my lost coin. Count on it, Jesus says. That's the kind of party that God's angels throw every time one lost soul turns to God. Again, the same point in a different story. What you do for things, God does for people. By repeating the same point in another story, he's showing the importance of the lesson that he wants his his hearers to, to learn. Jesus was saying, you go through great lengths to find a coin, but ignore the loss that are right in front of you. You're actually, he was saying, the lost among the found. And I love the imagery, the, the, the word is so alive and it's so, like, you can read a sentence and, and read it again and it means something else and read it again and it's deeper and read it again and it goes deeper, read it again and it cuts your heart. 
And you say, wait a minute, I've read that before and it did nothing. Today I'm reading it and it's making me cry. It's cutting down my heart. That's the word is alive. It's active. It gets inside you. God knows how to use it to speak to you. Amen. So I love the imagery. She has to bring in a lamp and a light to search the house. The word says Jesus is the light. And and he says to the followers, you are the light of the world. And so like this woman, the heart of God goes through great lengths to seek out the lost. We could say we are the light that was lit to find what was lost. We're the light that was lit to find to find what was lost. We, we've already seen in Scripture that God actually searches for lost sinners. In the very beginning, God taught us that in the very beginning, Genesis 3, after Adam fell, him and his wife found out, my God, you're naked. What, what are we doing? And they felt shame and they hid. And God came looking for them in Genesis 3. And God says, Adam, where are you? And it wasn't because Adam was so good at hide and seek that, that God couldn't find them. You know, God, come on. You know, God knew exactly where he was saying, Adam, where are you? Where are you? So God comes looking. He's already shown us that. In Romans 5, 8, it says, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Before we asked for forgiveness, he forgave us. You you won't hear that in any religion. While we were still weak, while we were still ungodly, Christ came. He paid for our transgressions. He what God went through and still goes through to great lengths to seek and to save that which was lost. And he rejoices over every single one. Listen, on one hand, the good news in both stories is that God is the seeker. God is the one pursuing. In the first story, he left the 99 to find the one. Some of us in this building are only here because he went out looking for us. Come on, can we reflect back? Can we leave our self-righteousness aside for a minute? No, you know, I I found Jesus. Jesus was never lost. (laughs) You were... (laughs) We're all here because he found us in our mess somewhere. He used somebody. He might have used the person that's next to you. He might have used somebody a long time ago to to pick you up and, and, and put us on his shoulders and bring us here to this point. Amen? When you understand that he loved you, that he came for you before you can do anything for him, you start to understand the grace of God. But that grace causes the Pharisees, the religious, to grumble. Because religion, all religion is works-based. We get what we earn. If you're really good, and and we still have this mindset a lot of times. We say, you know what, I got to do this because I did this. And so we, we put our life on a scale. As if you can do enough good things to outweigh all the bad things. And, and some of you look at me like, I'm not even bad, so I don't know, you're not talking about me. No, no, you're not bad at all. When you, when, you tell your, your, when you tell your kid to tell the credit guy that you're not home, that's not lying. So you're not a liar at all. All the pens you have in your car that have a company name on them, you didn't steal those. So you're not a thief at all. No, 
You're good people. There's not, no thieves and no liars in here. All religion is work-based. You get what you deserve. You get what you earn. The sheep was foolish. The woman was careless. But God still rejoices over the found ones. He still pursues. He still seeks. He still receives sinners and eats with them. Amen? Third story, the third parable. The lost sons. Verse 11. Then he said, there was once a man who had two sons. And the younger said to the father, Father, I want right now what's coming to me. He wanted the inheritance that he would receive when his father dies. I can't help right there but to think of so many of us, including me. Amen? We want the father's things, but we don't want the father's heart. All right, just me and two people. All right. This is really righteous church here. See, the son is not thinking, I could have, if I stayed here in my father's house, I could have anything I want. Because I'm the son of a rich man. I'm the son of a powerful person. I'm the son of, and so if I stayed here, I can have anything I want. But he wants the father's things, but he wants to be out from under the father. And so he says, I want my inheritance now. Write the check. And if you know the rest of the story, he takes everything and he goes far away. Because he wanted to be in a different land. He wanted to be in a different place. He wanted to be out from under the father. But you see, the father's things are empty without the father's love. Has anybody discovered that on their own? The Father's things are empty without the Father's love. Without the Father's presence, the the Father's things are, are empty. We pursue so many things today. We make so many things a priority over our faith. Our walk with God many times is an afterthought. The Father's things are empty apart from His presence. If you if you really want to check your priorities, look at your checking account. See where all your money goes. See what's most important to you. Check your, I don't want to offend anybody, but, but you'll never show up late to a movie. But when it comes to church, it's not that important to be here when it starts. Why? Why? What are you saying? You're saying entertainment is more of a priority than the things of God. Now, I'm not getting on anybody's case, but I'm just saying, right? Just check yourself. This is for you. <laughs> this is for you. What's important to you, right? You, you'll, you'll spend, man, that's not, you want to, I don't want to talk about money. People get totally offended, right? You'll spend, you'll spend stuff, man. What, you'll, you'll tip 18% at a restaurant. You'll do, but in, in church, it's a $5 bill, if anything, in, the, in offering. It's not a priority to you. But what if they can't pay them more? And I'm, and I'm not saying we can't because we're good. God blesses us. You know, I don't depend. I depend on the Lord. Amen? That's why we don't do a song and a dance for offering because I know, yeah, I know we got a $10,000 mortgage. I know we got a 1000 in insurance and a 1000 in Con Ed and a thousand. You know, I know. I know that. But I, don't, I, I trust God. 13 years, God has never let us down. Even when we were out of the building and had to pay the mortgage and only 100 of you showed up at the schools, we still paid the bills. Amen? 
So I trust God. So, so I know he's faithful. This is not for me. This is for you. Look at your priorities and see what's a priority to you. Singles. Can I go there? What's the first? Well, is he, is he good looking? Is he, um, is he attractive? Is she hot? Um, oh, but is she a Christian? Well, you know, we're, whatever. We work that out, you know. <laughs> whatever. I'll bring her to Pastor George. Don't worry about it. He set us straight. Or him, oh, don't worry. He's a knucklehead. We'll bring him to church. That's all. He'll have to come to church with me. And if he comes to church with me, that's a good sign. I should get with him. I mean, you know, he'll come to church with you for a little while. Amen? Yeah, I don't even want to go there, so let's just leave that alone. I think we already communicated and we're, we're there. We're there. Bring that thing under God. Don't take the Father's thing. Listen, sexuality is a beautiful gift that God gave us. Do you know the enemy didn't, didn't invent sex? Okay, young people, turn your ears away. I'm talking to the adults here. Do you know like the enemy, we make it dirty because we think the enemy invented it. The enemy didn't invent it. God created the parts. It's his imagination. God is creative. Somebody say amen. amen. God is good. Amen. Married people say God is good. You're not married. Shut up. Stop it. Get that thing under God. Put it in the right place. Amen. Fire's good in the fireplace. It's beautiful when you see a beautiful fire in a fireplace. Fire in your living room is a bad thing. Right? Fire in the fireplace. You sit around. It's beautiful. You roast up my. It's beautiful. Fire on your curtains is a bad thing. You run. But we like to live that way. We like to live with fire in the living room, fire in the bedroom, fire on the bed sheets. All right, I'm going too far. Let's go back to the Word. The Father's things are empty without the Father's presence. I don't want you to be in the Father's house thinking about the Father's things without being in the Father. Being lost among the found. Amen? And so... You know the story, he, he spends all his money, and the other brother says he spent it on whoring, the word says. He spent money whoring. I know that's, that's hardcore, right? Whoring, sorry. Um, so what does that mean? He rented like an Escalade and just drove and just picked up chicks everywhere he went because he had money. But eventually the money ran out. And eventually the, uh, the, the fine young ladies left him. And eventually he was by himself. And eventually everything got taken from him. And eventually he, a Jew from a rich family, had, had to take a job feeding pigs. The most unsanitary thing that, that would be in their culture. He took a job feeding pigs. And as he's throwing the slop to the pigs, he's saying, my God, that looks... Pretty good. If only somebody would give me some of this to eat because I'm hungry. And then he came, he hit rock bottom, right? And the word says he comes to his senses and he repents and he turns from his way. See, he realizes that things are better with the Father. Anybody ever had one of those 
rock bottom experience where you realize, I thought things would be better out here. and Things looked greener on that side. Things looked better and they, it looked like they were having more fun over there. But I was actually better off in the Father. And so he comes to his senses and he repents. <clears throat> Sometimes we have to find ourselves at a place where we never thought we'd be doing in, in, a, in, a, in, in a place where we never thought we'd be doing things that we never thought we'd be doing to realize and come to our senses. And so the son knows he's hurt the father. He knows he's damaged that relationship. And so he's not going back expecting to be a son. He's going back to make things right and to take the position of a slave. He's saying, my father's slaves, they eat well. They eat meals. They have a place to sleep. I don't even have that. If I go back and he rehearses his speech that he's going to tell the father, he's going to tell the father, father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. If you would only receive me back as a slave, as one of your hired hands, and, and I know that I'll be better off, you know, you'll, you'll treat me better there as a slave. He's not thinking, he's not coming back saying, hey, I'm your son, bro. You got to make things happen for me. See, the, the younger son, had the, 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 the enemy, when, whenever we, we step out from the father, the enemy that, steals, that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, when we step out from the father, we give him authority, and the first thing he does is he steals our position, he kills our connection, and he destroys our identity. The younger son's sin has destroyed in his eyes his identity. So he goes back to live as, not as a son, but to serve as a slave. And look what the father does, verse 20. So he got up, he got right up, and he went home to the father. And when he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Isn't that a beautiful picture? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding. He ran out and he embraced him and he kissed him. And the son started his speech, the speech I told you he prepared. He said, Father, I've sinned against God and I've sinned before you and I don't deserve to be called your son. But the father wasn't even listening. He was calling to the servants, quick, bring a clean set of clothes and dress him. Put a robe on him. Put the ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Get a grain-fed heifer and roast it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a wonderful time because my son is here. He said, I don't deserve to be a son. I'll be happy as a slave. The father says, my son is home. You're not here to work in ministry as a slave. The father says, you're my son. Somebody needs to hear that today. You're not here to work in ministry and try to earn God's favor and try to earn right relationship with people. You're not here to slave in ministry. You're here to be sons and daughters. Amen? And we get to be in ministry. Which this empty area needs ministry. I'm not happy with that. It needs ministry. Amen? That means there's people someplace that, that, are, that, are, that are not hearing the word today. There's people someplace today that maybe felt like, I, I, can't, I can't go to church. Maybe the things that I did this weekend, I, I don't belong there. Maybe there's people right now that are not here, that were here, that were a part of here, that are missing today. And they're, maybe the enemy is stealing, stealing, killing, and destroying their identity. And they say, you know what, I don't, I don't deserve to kind of be in church. I can't go to church. A lot of people tell me, hey, pastor, I'll be there, man. I'm just working on things, getting my stuff together. 
I said, listen, if you can get your stuff together on your own, don't come to church. Right? But if you're going to wait till you get your stuff together to come to church, goodbye, I'll never see you. That's the point, amen? And so this parable is a beautiful picture that we draw our current worship team. You guys can come. <coughs> the parable is a beautiful picture that we draw our comfort from. Listen, if you're a parent with a son or a daughter that has pulled away from you or pulled away from God, we find comfort in, in praying that one day he, will, he, she will come to their senses and they'll find their way home. As a matter of fact, right now, let's just lift a hand. Let's just pray. Father, we just ask you for the prodigals that are represented here, Lord. Father, we ask for those that are separate, those that have gone away, those that have left with the Father's things, but away from the presence of the Father. Father, we just, right now, we call them back. We thank you that you know exactly where they are, and I pray that right now, someone would ask them, where are you? That someone would challenge them, God. Father, raise up Christians. Raise up those of us, Lord God, that would be bold enough to find a prodigal someplace and ask him, what are you doing here? Why are you not where you belong? Who stole your identity? Who told you you were a slave? Who told you you were lost? Who told you you could never be found again? Father, let someone speak to them and bring them, Father, that they may rejoice in your house and that we, we may sing over them with gladness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if, if you're, you're one of those, sometimes prodigals hang out in church. Sometimes prodigals hide in church. If you're one of those sons and daughters that have left and have been away from the love of the Father, but you're hiding in here just to make things peace in your mind for at least an hour or two on a Sunday, you find comfort in, in thinking, I want you to get the picture that God has been waiting and watching for you, seeking for the time when you would turn around and come to him and have him not even listen to your confessions before he put a robe on your back and a ring on your finger and calls you a son or a daughter again. Somebody say amen. And so those are two very beautiful, powerful illustrations of the Father's love. But if we take the parable to the end and reflect on where he leaves off, we find there's another character in the story that's just as meaningful and perhaps more convicting. The older son. The older son was out in the field when all this happened. He was working as a slave. He was earning to stay in the Father's grace. He was earning his way. He's a picture of the grumbling of the religious folks, the Pharisees and the scribes that are listening. He's like some of us sometimes in our self-righteousness. We try to earn our love, and because of that, sometimes we think we deserve more because we're not as bad as the other people. The parable ends at the banquet. The father has thrown this banquet for the prodigal that's returned. And, and, and man, there's everything. There's meat. They, they didn't always eat meat back then because that's expensive. But there's meat at this banquet. It's a big party. It's a feast. There's celebration. But the father appears to be in the banquet with the younger son. And he, as he looks around, he sees my older son is not here. Because the father loves them both. Listen. So he looks 
So, so, so the father leaves the banquet, this banquet that he ordered, this banquet that he invited people to, this banquet that he's celebrating in with his younger son. He leaves the banquet because he's looking for the older son. And he goes to him, and the older son offends him. The older son, you know, attacks him kind of and, and, and really uh, uh, is res- disrespectful to him. And, but he looks past his sin. He looks past his religion. He looks past his entitlement. And he invites the older brother back into the banquet. And Jesus doesn't tell us in the parable if he ever comes in. But if we consider the cross, and if we consider that the older brother represented the Pharisees, we know that he never went back into the banquet because they never rejoiced with Jesus. They crucified him. So if the sheep was lost through foolishness and the coin was lost through carelessness and the younger son was lost through willfulness and the older son was lost through self-righteousness, the good news of Luke 15 is that the sheep was brought back. The coin was found. The younger son repented, returned, and was restored. And the older son was still forgiven and still invited into the banquet, even at the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. So wherever you stand today, that's the point. Wherever you stand today, there's no excuse for you to remain lost among the found. There's grace for you here at the foot of the cross. There's mercy for you. There's forgiveness there's restoration. And so as we close our time in worship, if you need to come to the Father, I want you to get the picture that He was already waiting for you, that He's already watching for you. Come. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you, and He will quiet you with His love, and He will rejoice over you singing.
opportunity to respond to this to respond to this message because the arms of the Father are open wide towards you that's what the Lord is emphasizing today maybe your heart is far from God and he's saying come home as Pastor George said, it doesn't matter if you've been here every week or here for 10 years. It's a heart issue. Or if you're visiting today, you're not here by accident. The Bible says that nobody comes unless the Father draws them. You didn't just wander in today. The Holy Spirit, he's been pulling at your heart. The Father is calling you into his love, into his heart. You are a son or a daughter. It's time to arise. And if you're saying, before I pray, if you're making the declaration today, I'm coming back to the Father. I'm coming into his arms. I'm going to walk with him. I want a real relationship. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand wherever you are right now. You say, God, I'm coming to you. And as, as you lift your hand, the Bible says that the angels in heaven are rejoicing over just you. If it was only you. All of heaven is celebrating. That, that's the love of the Father. Father, I pray right now for each one whose hand is raised, God. Father, I pray that they would know the depth and the width of your love, your unconditional, unfailing, fiery love. Father, we repent. We stand before you today and we say we're sorry, God. We have neglected you. We have neglected your heart. We have grieved your spirit. We, we've gone after our own ways and forgotten you. But we're coming back today, God. We're running after you. We're pressing into your love, into your heart. We worship you. And I bless you right now to know him more. And, 
according to the words. If you're lifting your hand and you're saying, Father, I'm coming to you. The spirit of the Lord, the blood of Jesus is coming. He's washing you clean. He's cleansing you. Wherever you fail, wherever you've run the other direction, in any way that you've messed up, he's washing that. You are cleansed. You are made holy. So can we all right now lift up holy hands to God as the true children of God? You are loved and wanted. Maybe you haven't felt like that. But the Father not only loves you, He wants you. He desires you. And I bless you with that knowledge today. And we say, welcome home in Jesus' name.
Father, snatched us from the grips of death, Lord, brought us into your eternal life, your eternal love, Lord. Father, even when we contemplated running away, Father, you stood, you stood, you stood at the end of the road, Father, with arms wide open, knowing that we would return, Father, and just preparing a celebration for our comeback, oh God. So, Father, right now we stand here with a grateful heart, Lord, with our hearts lifted high, saying thank you, thank you, Lord, that you would love us in spite of ourselves, oh God. Father, that you would love us in spite of the decisions we've made, Father. Lord, that you would continue your relentless chase after us, God. Father, that you would bring us to the reality, Lord, that there's nothing without you, oh God. But Father, today, Lord, I thank you for those that who might have made a commitment to you, Lord. Father, all of heaven rejoices right now, Father, because another sheep is found, because another one of yours is home, Lord. So we rejoice too, oh God. And today, Father, we make a commitment, oh God, to continue to run hard after you, oh God, Father, because you're never that far. You're always present, oh God. Father, you're a prayer away. You're a song away, oh God. Father, you never leave us. You never forsake us, oh God. So if you're listening online, God is saying that you are his and he is yours. And you're never that far away from his love. And you can't run away from his love. He's got a hold on your heart. And his hold is a lot stronger than ours. It's not a human hold. Because we give up after a while. But he continues on and on and on. So come back to his love. Come back to the bosom of Jesus. Come back to the safety of God. Father, we love you. You are amazing in our eyes, oh God. We hope to never, we pray to never lose our wonder. You are blessed. Continue to be a blessing. Have a wonderful week. Amen.